welcome to this episode of Drug Tag Reviews podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I'm your host, Taylor Mixides, editor of Drug Target Review. This episode is about unraveling the tumor microenvironment in immuno-oncology, key themes, emerging technologies, and future challenges. If you've missed the previous episode of Molecular Devices, you can check it out on the Drug Target Review website and find more information in the description box. In this episode, we'll be discussing the hot topic that's tumor microenvironment in immuno-oncology. We'll be covering the key themes of the tumor cells interacting with immune cells and these factors that can affect tumor fate and progression. Before we begin, let's hear from our sponsors, Molecular Devices. This podcast is brought to you by Molecular Devices. With its innovative life science technology, Molecular Devices make scientific breakthroughs possible for academic, pharmaceutical, government and biotech customers. Head to MoleculaDevices.com to find out more. Today, I'll be joined by Dr. Anuradha Tarafta, Principal Scientist at Cancer Research Horizons, and Dr. Michael Kliczynski, co-inventor of the CAR macrophage technology and a scientific co-founder of Charisma Therapeutics. It's great to have you both here today. I'm really excited to kick off our discussion on immune oncology, as it's such an important topic. But before we dive in, I think it'll be great to hear a bit about your background. So Anna, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, uh, thanks Taylor for your introduction and invitation to this podcast. So I'm Anuradha. I'm a principal scientist here at Cancer Research Horizons, and I've been here with CRH for just under three years now. Prior to my time in CRH, I had largely an academic career where I worked on driverse translational disease models, both in vivo and in vitro, to understand complexities uh, uh, of diseases, which included cancers, arthritis, and Alzheimer's disease. Mike, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on, on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Mike Kluczynski. I'm one of the co-founders and the chief scientific officer of a biotech company called Charisma Therapeutics, which is based in Philadelphia. And Charisma is a unique cell therapy company developing engineered macrophages and monocytes. We developed a technology called the CAR macrophage or chimeric antigen receptor macrophage, where we use the chimeric antigen receptor technology that has been very successful in the, in the T-cell space, but we apply it to macrophages for a number of reasons that I'm sure we'll come back to later in the discussion. Uh, on a personal note, I have a PharmD from the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy, a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania, where I trained in cell therapy under one of the pioneers of the CAR-T space, Carl June, where I got my PhD at the Center for Cellular Immunotherapies. I co-founded the company Charisma Therapeutics back in 2016 with, uh, with Sar Gill, who's a professor at UPenn as well. The company has grown quite a bit from the early days. We Started with just an idea. Now we're a little over 100 people. We've raised over $300 million. We're publicly traded on NASDAQ under the ticker CARM, and we have multiple clinical trials evaluating CAR macrophages for patients with solid tumors. Let's begin by establishing a foundation for our discussion today by delving into the key components of the tumor microenvironment. Understanding these fundamental elements is crucial to our exploration. Could you please share your insights on the significant components that warrant our attention? Yeah, so um, 
The cancer cells or the tumors represent a complex ecosystem that comprises of not just tumor cells, but a multitude of non-cancer cells which are embedded in this extracellular matrix, which we often call ECM. The tumor microenvironment is made up of a diverse number of um, immune cell types, cancer-associated fibroblasts, endothelial cells, pericytes, and other tissue-resident cell types that can be manipulated by the cancer cells to promote its successful development and eventual metastasis. It is, in fact, the level of penetration of the immune cells in the tumor microenvironment that can actually determine the fate of the tumor. So if there is good level of penetration, it is often they are they, those tumors are often known as um, hot tumors in that they respond to immunotherapy. If there is poor penetration of the immune cells in the tumor microenvironment, it, they are known as cold tumors in in and in that which means that they respond poorly to immunotherapy. And as tumors grow, the co-evolving immune milieu also undergoes a profound change as the tumor develops, which results in a decrease of um, the cytotoxic CD8 cells, NK cells, and increases the number of dysfunction, uh, dysfunctional cells such as T cells and also immunosuppressive FOXP threats. FOXP3 uh, Tregs. All of these skewed towards an immunosuppressive phenotype, often leading to immune evasion and cancer cell survival and progression. Over to you, Mike. When I think about the tumor microenvironment, I think the perfect drug to think about to really understand each component of the tumor microenvironment and, and the challenges it imposes is, is the CAR T cell or chimeric antigen receptor T cell. I think it's a, it's a very useful way to put the TME into context. So the tumor microenvironment at a high level comprises everything in the tumor other than the tumor cells themselves. And for decades, the tumor cells were the primary target, but it's become clear that going after the tumor cells themselves, while of course a critical part of cancer therapy, there are other cells within the tumor mass, within the primary tumor, within metastatic lesions that impose challenges, drug resistance, that lead to changes in, in how the cancer responds to various therapeutics. And these other cell types actually aid the tumor, not only in resistance, but also in it, its growth and immunosuppression and um, metastasis and spread throughout the body. So there are immune components to the microenvironment. These comprise first and foremost macrophages, which is the cell that I study. Macrophages are known to be the most abundant immune cell in the solid tumor microenvironment. In some cases, there are actually more macrophages than cancer cells within a tumor. If you look at a biopsy and modify the cell type, sometimes you'll see there are more macrophages. Tumors go out of their way to recruit macrophages. And the presence of macrophages correlates with, with the prognostic outcome. So patients that have more macrophages in their TME often have worse outcomes, whether it's the natural progression of the disease or, or worse response to, to therapy. We'll come back and talk about macrophages more, I'm sure. Other key immune cells include regulatory T cells. Regulatory T cells are a subtype of T cells that are highly immunosuppressive and limit the response that T cells may have against tumor mutations. There are various other suppressive immune cells, such as myeloid-derived suppressor cells, which are distinct from macrophages, but have some similar qualities. There are a variety of non-immune cells as well that pose challenges to, to therapy. These include fibroblasts that are cancer-associated or, or cancer-associated fibroblasts, CAPS, that lead to the deposition of a significant extracellular matrix that makes the tumor dense and fibrous and difficult for, for therapies to 
physically penetrate, but whether these are small molecules, antibodies, cell therapies, um, having a dense fibrotic matrix, or an abundance of neovasculature, new blood vessels that the tumor is growing to aid its, aid its, uh, its growth. And this has been a significant target in cancer therapy. So when you take this all together and you take a step back and ask, how does a tumor actually form? There are normal cells that have mutations, whether they're, these are disruptions in tumor suppressor genes or activation of proto-oncogenes, and certain tumor cells, certain cells transform and become cancerous and start to grow. There is an immediate immune response that occurs in most people. Most people have cancer cells appearing on a regular basis, but it doesn't form cancer or, or tumors, doesn't form disease because the immune system, primarily T cells, are able to identify these mutations and rapidly delete these cells. In order for an actual cancer to form, the perfect blend of events has to happen. Not only do the initial mutations, the initial insult, does that have to happen, but immune evasion must happen in order for a tumor to actually form and cause, and cause disease. So in order for immune evasion to occur, the perfect mix of immunosuppression has to occur. These cancer cells must initially evade T cells. They recruit other immune cells like macrophages and MDSCs and Tregs, which I described, that suppress the endogenous T cell response. They begin to build additional blood vessels. They begin to build up these walls or through, through fibrosis and through fibroblasts that help keep T cells out. And the combination of these leads to resistance to endogenous immune attack. It'd be great to explore how the cells within the tumor microenvironment interact with immune cells. This interaction plays a pivotal role in shaping the tumor's behavior and the immune response. How do these two sets of cells communicate and influence each other? Yeah, it's, it, it's a great, great question. So I think a good way to think about this is in the context of CAR T cells, which are T cells that have been taken out of the body engineered with synthetic receptors to go after tumor-associated antigens, like HER2, for example, which is overexpressed in breast cancer. Um, and these T-cells are infused back into the patient. And the hope is that these T-cells will find their way into the tumor, penetrate the tumor, kill the tumor cells through T-cell, uh, T-cells intrinsic cytotoxic properties, and expand and, and create memory against the tumor cells so that they, if they come back, the immune response will be able to reinvigorate and, and clear the recurrence of disease. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite happen, right? As, as you know, and I know you've talked about this on previous episodes, CAR T cells have been tremendously effective in, in leukemias and lymphomas, which are blood cancers, that don't truly have a tumor microenvironment, especially for, for circulating leukemias. But solid tumors are very different. And there are key challenges that the TME imparts on, on CAR T cells. The first is a physical barrier for T-cell infiltration. T-cells find it very difficult to penetrate through the fibrous, dense extracellular matrix that solid tumors have. In order for a T-cell to make its way into a particular tissue to begin with, this effect, this trafficking phenomenon, is driven by a pairing of chemokines, which are soluble factors that a tumor produces. And these chemokines must pair with the chemokine receptors that the immune cell expresses. And only once the chemokine binds to the chemokine receptor does the cell swim, so to speak, in the direction of, of the chemokine. Naturally, 
if there's an inflammation or an infection, there's a ton of chemokines being produced that recruit a whole bunch of different immune cells. Tumors, unfortunately, over time, lose the expression of chemokines that help recruit effector T cells, for example. So the, the T cells don't see that this tissue is where the cancer is, and they fail to find their way into the tumor. On the other hand, the tumor and the tumor microenvironment produce a whole bunch of other chemokines that recruit inhibitory immune cells, such as tumor-associated macrophages, MDSCs, Tregs, etc. So there's a natural evolution that occurs over time where the chemokine landscape actually changes, and immunosuppressive cells are preferentially recruited over potent immune effector cells like T cells. And that's a problem that CAR T cells face since they, they need those chemokines to find the tumor. If they do happen to find the tumor, which of course some small fraction of them do, there is an, an immediate challenge, which is penetration. How do they actually find their way through the tumor? Is there sufficient vasculature? Is there sufficient space for them to be able to get in? Are they able to break down the fibrotic walls that are in their way? If they are able to get in, they're immediately faced with immunosuppression in a variety of, of, of forms. The first is an abundance of immunosuppressive cytokines. T cells need three signals to become properly activated. They need signal one, which comes from the MHC complex antigen presentation, signal two, which comes from co-stimulation binding to co-stimulatory receptors like CD28, 41BB. And the third is, is a cytokine signal that controls whether you have a Th1 response or a Th2 response or a Th17 response and the potency of the response. If there's an abundance of immunosuppressive cytokines, um, it is very difficult for a T cell to become properly activated, even if it sees its cognate antigen through its T cell receptor, and even if it has proper co-stimulation. So these cytokines are actively suppressing T cell uh, responses. There are also cell uh, surface ligands, like, of course, PDL1, PDL2, TIM3, LAG3, and a number of others, which are, are active drug targets that bind to receptors on the T cell surface. And these receptors signal through what are called ITIM motifs, inhibitory motifs, that actively dephosphorylate signaling receptors within the T cell, whether it's the TCR itself or a co-stimulatory receptor, and block the signaling cascade that leads to T cell activation, whether it's an endogenous T cell, a T cell engineered with a T cell receptor, or a T cell engineered with a chimeric antigen receptor. These inhibitory pathways immediately suppress the T cell response. The third challenge, and one that's often overlooked, is antigen heterogeneity. If a T cell is able to overcome the barrier of entry of trafficking and entry and penetration, and somehow able to overcome the various forms of immunosuppression, a T cell is targeted against a single antigen, whether it's an endogenous T cell that has a T cell receptor. Each T cell has a unique T cell receptor that recognizes, in the case of CD8 T cells, a unique MHC class 1 loaded with a particular approximately 9 amino acid peptide, or an engineered T cell that has an overexpressed T cell receptor or, or, or a CAR. You're going after one target, and tumors are constantly evolving. The, the core principle around immunotherapy is natural selection. And tumors are very heterogeneous, particularly solid tumors, where if you go after a single antigen, only a fraction of the tumor cells will actually express that antigen. If you put pressure on that antigen, one of two things will happen. 
either you'll kill off the cells that express that antigen and the rest of the tumor will take over and your effector T cells will be blind to those tumor cells since they don't carry that particular antigen or that antigen will be masked. It'll be downregulated, whether it'll be downregulated by actually internalizing MHC so that the T cells can't see it or by if it's a cell surface antigen like, like CD19 or, or, or HER2, there are various forms that have been demonstrated in, in the literature of, um, of epitope masking, whether it's through splice variants and so on. But the tumor hides its antigens. So a, a big, big challenge for, for CAR T cells in cell tumors is antigen heterogeneity. Even if, if you're effectively able to find your target and kill those cells and overcome the, the various forms of suppression in the TME, you're only going to attack a small portion of the tumor cells. So being able to mount a broad immune response where you go after a variety of tumor antigens is critical. And it's a big challenge because you would inherently have to develop a multimodal therapy. In the field of drug development where I work, it's controls are very important, right? Everything has to go through regulatory agencies. Everything has to be well understood, well studied. So it's very difficult to complex and go after multiple antigens, whether, you know, it's, it's a big deal to go from one target to two targets, uh, but going from one to two, even to three is not sufficient. You need to be able to go after dozens of targets in parallel in order for um, a meaningful deep response to occur. So the way that we approach this at, at Charisma is by using engineered macrophages. And we use macrophages for a number of reasons. As I described earlier, macrophages are the most abundant immune cell in the solid tumor microenvironment. So our hypothesis was by using macrophages rather than, say, T cells, can we take advantage of the fact that these cells are naturally recruited to the tumor microenvironment in a sort of Trojan horse approach? Trick the, the tumor into thinking these are typical monocytes or macrophages that the tumor will convert into tumor-associated macrophages that will aid the tumor in its immunosuppression and, and uh, growth. Uh, but instead, these cells are engineered with a chimeric antigen receptor so that when the macrophages do get there, they begin to clear the tumor through phagocytosis. While they're phagocytosing the, the tumor cells in a targeted fashion, they're producing a variety of inflammatory mediators, cytokines and chemokines, that are pro-inflammatory that will help recruit T cells and other immune cells like NK cells, which are natural killer cells or dendritic cells, and turn a cold tumor microenvironment, which most are, into an activated or, or warm inflamed tumor microenvironment. Critically, to overcome this antigen heterogeneity issue, macrophages, unlike T cells or NK cells, are professional antigen presenting cells, meaning that they can, once they devour a tumor cell, that tumor cell intrinsically has a variety of mutations that make it cancerous to begin with. And this macrophage can then process all of the proteins and present them on their MHC class 1 to CD8 T cells or MHC class 2 to CD4 T cells and lead to epitope spreading, engaging the endogenous immune system, therapeutically vaccinating the patient against their own cancer, and leading to a potentially limitless expansion of the immune response against the cancer. While the CAR is only targeted to one antigen like HER2, the subsequent response is not only patient-specific, but it will encapsulate all the potential mutations that a patient has. And over to you, Anuradha. These cells um, communicate with each other and the 
how they communicate can often determine the fate of the tumor. So immune cells are very much part of the tumor microenvironment and in some cases can be determining factor in sort of um, the fate of, uh, of tumor progression. The immune cells include T cells and its subtypes such as CD4, CD8, Tregs, Gamma gamma-delta T cells, B cells, myeloid cells, monocytes, dendritic cells and a number of other cell types. It is their presence or more so the ratio of the different cell types that are present and their access to the cancer cell determines whether a tumor is hot or cold, as we discussed earlier. These cells interact with the tumor microenvironment in a number of ways, and I'll try and go through them one by one. One is contact-dependent communication, which is through um, proteins or molecules that are expressed on the surface of the cells. So these could be adhesion molecules such as integrins, cadherins, or selectins, etc. One pathway, which is the PDL1, PD1 pathway, has been shown to have an immense therapeutic value, and the inhibitors of this pathway have become um, standard of care for a number of cancers. Uh, the examples in, of PD1 inhibitors include nivolumab and pembrolizumab. So, in this PD1 PDL1 context, the cancer cells uh, or the tumor associated myeloid cells express PDL1, which engages with the PD1 receptor on the adaptive immune cells to suppress immune surveillance. So, they basically suppress the attacking uh, immune T cells and uh, sort of hide from from the immune immune system of our body. Another way the tumor cells or the tumor microenvironment cells can interact with the the T cells or immune cells is through paracrine signaling, which is um, molecules that are secreted by a cell type that doesn't act on the original cell but acts on a surrounding cells. So this could be by release of cytokines, chemokines, growth factors, proteases and also exosomes. Some examples of um, the cytokines that uh, create an immunosuppressive microenvironment are CSF1, VEGF-alpha, IL-1-beta, and IL-8. These lead to the, uh, the activation of tumor-associated macrophages or tumor-associated neutrophils that can suppress CD4 or CD8 T-cell activities. And finally, exosomes. So exosomes are extracellular vesicles that are generated by all cell types, And they often carry nuclear acids and proteins, lipids, or other metabolites. It has been reported that exosomes can not only modulate the local environment, but also have far-reaching effects beyond the primary tumor sites. So in case of cancer, it has been shown that cancer-derived PD-L1-containing extracellular vesicles can suppress T-cell activation in lymph nodes, thus promoting tumor progression and immune checkpoint blockade resistance. Any emerging technologies or techniques that show promise in better understanding the complexities of the tumour microenvironment? Obviously, a number of developing developing technologies that are enabling uh, researchers to understand this complexity of the tumour microenvironment and how the tumour cells modulates its surrounding to create an environment that either affects drug penetration or also uh, completely alters the behavior or immune cells around it. So the traditional methods to identify tumors have been using tissue biopsies uh, and histology, which is really thin sections of uh, tissue, and often researchers and um, 
uh, scientists looking for specific biomarkers, we now have ways not just to identify tumors, but also to understand how it develops and interacts with the surrounding cells. So some of the key technologies that we also currently undertake at CRH and spatial transcriptomics, what we do is collect RNA or information from um, single cell RNA and generate large data sets to see how um, uh, the tumor cells affects the transcriptomic of uh, surrounding cells and uh, which helps scientists to understand the makeup of the tumor microenvironment. In addition to that, we also have access to tumor dissociated cells and explants from biopsies, which we can often um, use imaging techniques um, uh, in the lab to understand the sort of tumor niche and the microenvironment and what comprises of tumor microenvironment in different cancers and try and understand and interpret those and try and find novel targets or therapeutic strategies to sort of implement those in different cancers. We also have options to sort of grow organoids and organoid co-cultures, which are a step up from normal 2D cultures in the lab so that they, organoids are essentially tumor cells growing in their um, 3D structures as the of the original tissue. So that gives us an idea of how the proteins would be expressed on the surface of the cells if you were to target that protein, whether it's, it is going to be biologically available and how it would interact with either the microenvironment cells or the immune cells. And finally, a really cool up-and-coming technology um, that can uh, also ha- have a profound impact in understanding human microenvironment is um, multifluidic-based cancer-on-chip models. So one caveat with all of these studies is that although these models are very helpful, they require a lot of data collection and building up of large and secure databases. And most importantly, the strength of these data rely on the quantity and quality of the patient samples, given the heterogeneity within cancers. The good thing about all of these data sets, or especially the sequencing data, is is that it is often shared for example, as a publication, and can be mined by other researchers. In fact, we at CRH use a lot of um, publicly available data sets in our bioinformatics work stream to look at target expression at different cell types um, in the tumor microenvironment and tumor cells themselves. And some examples of um, longitudinal studies where there's patient sample collection, which are CRUK initiatives, are the Lung Trace RX study, which aims to recruit about a thousand non small cell lung carcinoma patients to collect comprehensive genomic and clinical data from their point of diagnosis throughout treatment. There is another study called the PEACE study, which is another CIUK flagship study where the doctors will look at samples from when the cancer first started and any areas where it may have spread to. So in addition to that, they will also use cancer cells found in the DNA in the blood and samples will be collected from disease onset and even after death. So these data sets would be really useful and important in enhancing our understanding of how the tumor develops and how it um, sort of influences uh, its niche to sort of create this microenvironment that leads to tumor progression and metastasis and resistance. Yeah, so that these are exciting times and uh, just it takes a long time and a lot of effort to collect these data sets. So new technologies have, have been developed to actually take a fixed piece of tissue, like a, a tumor biopsy, create a slice similar to immunohistochemistry, perform immunohistochemistry or immunofluorescent staining with a few markers to define different regions of the tumor, then complex RNA probes 
that are linked to oligo barcodes. And those oligo barcodes are photocleavable. So you have a slice of tissue, you stain regions of interest, you then stain with, with RNA probes against a bunch of genes of interest. I think you can do, do this for dozens of genes in parallel uh, now, maybe more. Each one of those RNA barcodes will bind to uh, particular mRNAs. You then can shine a UV light at a particular region of interest, and the UV light will release the oligo probes only from where you shine the light. And it's, it's a very, very precise light, so you can look at very small regions of the tumor microenvironment. You then collect the released probes from that area that you, you, you shone a light on, and you sequence the barcodes that were attached to those probes through photocleavable linkers. And you can now understand which genes were expressed in different subregions of the tumor microenvironment. And I think analyses like these will be transformational. They're relatively new. They're still very complex and expensive. You don't see them done very frequently. I think that technology is more or less where single-cell RNA sequencing was five to 10 years ago, but I think we're going to see that become far more common in the next few years. Yes, and in the context of immunotherapy, how do factors like hypoxia, immune suppression, and extracellular matrix influence the TME and affect tumors? Yeah, another great question. And in fact, like one word answer could be that it makes it extremely difficult to sort of not only come up with novel immunotherapy drugs, but also um, uh, in context of a developing tumor, often we see cases where patients develop resistance to immunotherapy. So for a developing tumor, there are multiple bottlenecks that, it, that the tumor must overcome to successfully form a tumor. They do that by subverting normalizing cues from the surrounding tissue, and they hijack the microenvironmental processes to support their development. And some of the processes that you mentioned, such as hypoxia, extracellular matrix, and immune suppression, are some of the key mechanisms by which the tumor cells do that. And I'll try and go through them one by one. So hypoxia is essentially lack of oxygen in tissue. And it is a major trigger for angiogenesis, which is the process of um, development of new blood vessels, which is essential for a tumor development. So once a tumor grows uh, beyond one to two millimeters, it must establish its own vascular supply of oxygen and nutrients, otherwise it just doesn't grow. So in healthy tissues, the vasculature is quite stable. Endothelial cells, which are the main building blocks of uh, these vessels, are not actively dividing. However, as um, we've just heard, the complex and the dynamic nature of the tumor microenvironment, these endothelial cells are sort of um, exposed to a number of proangiogenic cues, and um, they in interact with a number of other cells in the tumor microenvironment, such as parasites, mural cell mural cells, cancer cells, and also the tumor-associated immune cells and cancer-associated fibroblasts, which um, affects their functions. And as a result, it leads to a very disorganized and leaky and a torturous vasculature with defective cell coverage and a discontinuous lining by the endothelial cells. This affects the oxygenation of tumors, which alters the immune cell dynamic and reduces drug penetration, so effectively making immunotherapy very difficult in, in such a scenario. In terms of the ECM, which is the non-cellular um, aspect of the tumor, which is a meshwork of cross-linked macromolecules that include collagens and other proteins, such as proteoglycans and glycoproteins, which form a dynamic 
anatomic scaffold within which the tumor cells and the surrounding cells sit. The ECM provides physical and chemical cues which can influence cancer progression and metastasis. In fact, it's been shown through spatial analysis that excessive ECM deposition are resistant to immune checkpoint inhibition as it can affect the uptake of the delivery of drugs to the intratumoral area. And a number of ECM modulators or inhibitors of uh, fibroblasts have been uh, tried in the lab and in the clinic. However, they are either at very early stages or haven't really shown any efficacy in clinical trials. So there still remains a lot to be done in terms of understanding uh, the ECM and its effect on uh, not just cancer cells, but also its therapeutic value. And finally, in the context of immune suppression, again, it comes down to the ratio of the amount of immunosuppressive cells that are present in the tumor microenvironment. As I mentioned earlier, those tumor-associated macrophages or tumor-associated neutrophils that can sort of um, influence the efficacy of T-cells. Now, our body is very good at detecting um, new antigens expressed by cancer cells, as in the case of the lung cancer revolution study. They showed that a low-grade lesions were characterized by an influx of naive T-cells, indicating that the T-cells were able to um, react to the specific neoantigens expressed by the developing cancer cells. However, as the lesions progressed, a transition towards accumulation of suppressive T-cells and suppressive myeloid cells happened, followed by a pregulation of key gene signatures, which are involved in immunosuppression. So all of these compounding factors makes it very difficult to sort of predict how immunotherapy would work in a given scenario. However, with good information about T-cell infiltration within the tumors, we can get an idea whether uh, patients would respond to immunotherapy or not. But these studies are at very early stages and obviously require uh, more thorough experiments and um, uh, uh, rigorous data sets to sort of come to really definite conclusions to make drugs more effective. Those wonderful insights. And just to round it up, in light of recent breakthroughs in immuno-oncology, what key obstacles remain in fully unlocking the potential of immunotherapies by targeting specific components of the tumor microenvironment? And over to you, Mike. What I look at the tumor microenvironment is it's a very complex, it's a very complex organism. And if you go after a single population of suppressive cells as your therapeutic strategy, I don't think those strategies will be particularly successful. The reason for that is there are multiple immunosuppressive cell types in the tumor microenvironment. And if you deplete one of them, another immunosuppressive cell type will take over and and carry the load of of the uh, immunosuppressive force for the tumor microenvironment. I think that it's important to evaluate combinations or identify therapies that are able to overcome several barriers in parallel. For example, tumor-associated macrophages are the most abundant immune cell in the TME. There's clear data showing that they're immunosuppressive, that having more tumor-associated macrophages is associated with poor outcomes. There have been many strategies to try to deplete tumor-associated macrophages, for example, antagonists to the CSF1 pathway, which is a growth factor and survival factor for macrophages. If you block that pathway, you decrease the amount of tumor-associated macrophages. But the responses in patients to anti-CSF1 or anti-CSF1 receptor Antibody therapies have not been very impressive in a variety of, of, of indications. And that's likely because, you, yes, you can deplete this one immune cell subtype and 
remove some of its immunosuppression, but other immunosuppressive forces will take over. The way that we think about it for our work on on CAR macrophages is that CAR macrophages do not have a single mechanism by which they modify the tumor microenvironment. We're not delivering a single cytokine or a single chemokine. We're delivering an activated immune cell that an activated innate immune cell that will respond to a tumor cell the same way the innate immune system would naturally respond to, say, an infection. Through the chimeric antigen receptor, we're tricking these macrophages into thinking that the tumor cells are foreign pathogens. And once they see the tumor antigen and process this signal, they begin to create broad inflammation. Dozens of inflammatory cytokines are produced. Dozens of inflammatory chemokines are produced. T cells are rapidly recruited. We've seen this in preclinical data in mice. We've now seen this in our early data coming out of our phase one clinical trial for patients with HER2 overexpressing solid tumors. T cells are recruited. Other innate immune cells, such as monocytes and macrophages, are are recruited. Dendritic cells are recruited and activated. And the tumor milieu overall begins to change. And we think that's critical. But importantly, modifying the tumor microenvironment as a sole strategy will never be effective. You can't forget about the actual tumor cells. The tumor cells have to be killed. Just removing the immunosuppression won't get you anywhere. With our CAR macrophage approach, the CAR macrophages themselves are potent phagocytic cells. So they, in addition to modifying the TME, they are killing tumor cells. They're literally eating through the tumor through phagocytosis. At the same time, they're recruiting T cells, presenting antigen to T cells, co-stimulating T cells, and leading to epitope spreading. And T cells are the most potent killer immune cells, cytotoxic T cells that we have in the human immune system. And once those T cells are properly activated and the TME suppressive forces are, are removed or partially removed, then it's, I think it could be game over for the tumor. Once those T cells are properly engaged and the antigens are not masked, those T cells can very rapidly expand and directly lyse the tumor cells. And over to you, Anuradha. I think we have made uh, numerous strides in better understanding how disease progresses, not just in tumor intrinsic factors, but also how the microenvironment can shape the progression of the tumor. In terms of key challenges, we are still looking at, uh, we still don't understand in some cases why certain patients become resistant to immunotherapy after a while. We still don't have really good model systems to recapitulate the tumor microenvironment in a lab-based setting. So those are some of the key challenges that we are still working with. However, in um, CRH, we are trying to address these issues by trying to understand the different components of the tumor microenvironment and by either understanding the functionalities of the individual cells alone or in co-cultures with T cells with the hope of making novel therapeutics, which would ultimately benefit patient lives. Well, it looks like our time for this discussion has come to an end. I want to extend my gratitude to Anna and Mike for joining me on this podcast and sharing your valuable insights. Your contributions have really been truly excellent. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of you. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. It was really nice to speak to you guys. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this Drug Target Review podcast, sponsored by Molecular Devices. I've been Taylor Mixties, editor of Drug Target Review, and we really hope you enjoyed this episode. 